0: Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Anne Wand. On today's show, we'll be talking about alternative career options for academics. Our guests for today are Dr. Anna Ranatovich, Research Analytics Policy Officer at the University of Groningen, and co-founder and CEO of the e-learning platform Campster, and Dr. Susan Larson, Chief Education Officer for the U.S. Army Recruiting Battalion ESS in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you, Anne, for inviting us, and it's lovely to be here this afternoon.
0: Pleasure. Uh, As per usual, we'll start off by having you tell us what drink you were having for the show, followed by a little bit about yourself. Anna, would you like to start?
1: Uh, Yes, yes, please. Uh, I'm, uh, well, I'm drinking a glass of red wine, actually, Uh, and...
0: uh, What kind of wine? uh it's a merlot uh it's a merlot an italian merlot <laughs> in the trentino region i remember you telling me yes yes and it's
1: lovely um to fit with the uh, with the podcast we're doing today um Um, Thanks for the introduction. Um, Well, uh, my job uh, that I do, the Research Analytics Policy Officer, is uh, a job that is uh, in the field of bibliometrics and scientometrics, which basically means that I work on tracking and measuring the societal and academic impact of research, as well as putting in place mechanisms to increase those at the University of Groningen.
0: Excellent. Thank you. And uh, Susan, how about yourself?
2: Well, I'm afraid I'm a little bit more boring. It's early morning here in uh, Minnesota, and it's snowing. I'm having a a hot Ribena toddy.
0: Ooh, lovely. Good choice. And could you tell us a bit about the sort of work you do?
2: Well, I am the Chief Educational Liaison for the Army in a four-state area, and I coordinate uh, information between about... 1,500 high schools and about 250 colleges in an area that if you drive from northwest to southeast is the distance between New York and Miami. So pretty busy doing that. And uh, I work with, with training and with various educational verification, as well as I, I help to consult on policy, educational policy.
0: Excellent. Um, I think what we will do is sort of just get the ball rolling and go right to the first question. Um, I know that this topic in particular seemed to have hit quite a few chords with uh, a lot of academics who wrote saying that they were interested in at least talking about the possibilities of career alternatives, especially since the job market is um, quite competitive. And it seems to be an epidemic across um, all fields, especially in the humanities and social sciences. So, uh, given that this is a rather personal topic for many academics who are on the fence about leaving their academic field, I was wondering if each of you could briefly tell us about your previous experiences in academia, followed by why you decided to leave your field, uh, starting with you, Susan.
2: Well, thank you. I left academia or decided to leave academia uh, fairly early on, and I realized that I was, I had a kind of a non traditional trajectory. I had my bachelor's degree when I was 19. So I began uh, graduate school at the University of Wisconsin uh, when I was 19. And uh, I realized that the things that people were talking about and what they thought was important wasn't really what I thought was important. Actually, to put it really straightforward, I was at a departmental reception. And I thought, oh my God, I can't deal with cocktail parties with these people the rest of my life. I mean, it was really that—that that straightforward. And uh, partially, it was my my nature. I'm very social by nature. I didn't. I I love research. I'm passionate about research, but I didn't like the solitary side of it. Okay. And as I evolved in my research and as as an academic and as a as a person, I realized what what I'm passionate about is putting people ideas and resources together and I started to develop a plan of what I could do with what I had that would amplify those opportunities so that's really where I where I came from it wasn't one particular uh experience or setback or even um promotion where you're like, Oh my God, I'm such a fake. Are they going to find out? I didn't have any single experience. It was just more of the sense that, wow, this is not going to be a good fit. For me.
0: Okay. And how did you go about finding the job that you have now? I mean, how did you go about the process of, of leaving academia and then finding the work that you have?
2: Well, I would say it was an evolution because I started working in non-traditional academic jobs kind of on the edge and administration in my PhD program at Berkeley, largely because there weren't a lot of funded research and teaching positions in my area. We were a new department. And so I had to look outside of what we would consider traditional areas. And I started by, by working with and eventually founding a couple of programs that dealt with outreach and putting resources together. And that gave me an idea, wow. I can look outside and I need to look for partners and potential stakeholders outside the academy. Okay. So that pattern was already set within my graduate program. Okay. Uh, how I came to the program is a different, a little
1: bit different story.
0: Okay. Well, maybe before you talk about how you got into the program you're in, uh, maybe Anna, you could tell us a bit about, you know, your process about how you chose to leave and then how you got into the job you're in now.
1: Um, Well, my experience is a little bit different in that I didn't uh, leave academia quite as early. Uh, However, on the other hand, I have been actually working since the age of uh, 18. Uh, So the whole time, parallel to my studies, I've been working either full-time or part-time. I've worked in marketing, I've worked in uh, analytics, I've worked in development, and I've also had some entrepreneurial stints here and there over the last uh, 15 years. Uh, Between my master's degree and my PhD at Oxford, I also worked for two years uh, full time uh, in development uh, and founded my own NGO. So all these things taken together uh, sort of uh, meant that at the end, when I did make the decision to leave academia uh, full time uh, and uh, forever, shall we say, uh, it wasn't a decision that happened overnight. Uh, but something that uh, simply was a very natural and organic uh, process. Uh, I had uh, you know I felt that I had the skill set. And you know when I looked into myself, uh, like Suzanne says, I felt that uh, it was the right decision to make because clearly uh, doing this, clearly working outside of academia is something I had needed the whole time. I enjoy research, I'm passionate about research as well. But the very fact that on my own initiative, I also worked the entire time. So it wasn't something I did out of need or necessity. It was something I wanted to do. Sort of led me uh, to believe that uh, this was a better fit for me. Okay. And it was then that I uh, started my own company. And then a year later also uh, what led me to also uh, take on uh, a role at the University of Groningen. Okay.
0: And could you tell us a bit about the work that you're doing right now, Anna, as a result of switching careers? Uh, well,
1: uh, as uh, you've said, uh, uh, I'm a CEO and co-founder of a startup, uh, Campster eLearning. Uh, it is an net-tech uh, startup uh, founded with the goal of solving the problem of motivation in online learning. This is something we started, uh, four of us started uh, around a year and a half ago. And this is something that I do about uh, 30% of the time of the week. Um, I'm uh, involved in uh, strategy making and product development uh, in daily operations and, well, when it comes to a startup in all sorts of things, of course. Uh, at the same time, I work at the University of Groningen. And uh, as I've said, uh, I uh, well, my job involves actually very close contact with the research community. Um, and it is also, um, shall we say, related uh, to my prior academic experience because I work in the field of uh, societal impact and scientometrics. metrics. Uh, societal impact is a very complex uh, topic and my academic background actually uh, has equipped me to understand these complexities better than maybe someone uh, who had a different background.
0: Okay, that's very, very useful. Um, I think one thing maybe we should also talk about, um, because I, again, this this apprehension seems to be an existent theme for those who you know, maybe always felt that they were called to go into academia and now they find themselves in a the position where they need to pay bills or they need um, to really sort of open their... Um, sort of their mind to the idea of maybe just creating a broader net of possibilities. One thing I think that might be reassuring for those who are listening is to talk about the positives and negatives that each of you have experienced now that you've left academia. Uh, And if we could start with you, Susan, if you could just tell us a bit more about um, the program that you're involved in now and the sort of positives. I I know that's something that you have definitely talked about that have come as a result of the work that you do. Thanks,
2: Anne. I would say that one of the, the real surprises is exactly how positive my workplace is. Um, I work in an area where I have uh, I work daily with about uh, 300 soldiers, and I work with thousands of civilians. And one of the things that just impresses me and, and, and encourages me to no end is the amount of respect that I get from, from the people I work with. And the interest. Everyone who talks to me is interested in learning. They're in, maybe interested in learning about the army. They're interested in going on with their with their studies. Sometimes that's at the bachelor's level. I have. I'm really, really proud. I have about ten soldiers gotten the PhD under my. Life. And I, it also gives me a wonderful opportunity to do some um, informal advising. So it's it's kind of ironic that even though I've chosen to leave the academic career myself i find myself working with people who that's their goal and it's 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 really interesting to to work in that way uh the other positive is i have a lot of independence i am when you are in in my area when you're considered a subject matter authority and you have a particular mission to do as long as you're fully trained the expectations you're going to do it legally morally correctly and on time there's not a lot of micromanagement, um, which works really well for me. That's one of the worst things for me is somebody just looking over my shoulder all the time and telling me telling me what to do. Um, there's a lot, a, lot of tru- a lot of trust uh, with, with my colleagues. I would say that was really different from my experience in academia is there's a lot of emphasis placed on professional development and by this I mean they give you the resources, the time, the money to do it. I've been sent to. Um, most recently, I'm, i they've just approved. I'm going to a master negotiation class at Harvard Law School that they've picked up. Um, you know, not just the cost of the tuition, but the board, the plane, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's wonderful to really feel supported by your institution and your colleagues. I also have a great cadre of other education specialists I work with across the country. There are 52 of us. And uh, very supportive uh, group professionally and even personally. Um, that's been another part. When there's been a family illness or 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 a death, people just are are 100 percent. You know, do what you need to do, take the time you need, and they file in behind you to take care of your duties when you're gone.
0: That's excellent. Um, and I know one thing that uh, you had mentioned in uh, talking with you previously is you talked about job stability, and I was wondering if you could elaborate a bit more on that.
2: Typically when you're in the governmental service or or our GS system, our civil service, after your probationary year, um, you have essentially tenure or what you might consider in a more administrative position security of hire. Um, You have to really, really not do your job well for a period of time to be removed from your position so if and if for example your battalion or your work area were to close you would have priority placement anywhere in the government system where you were qualified so you don't worry if, if they stop teaching swedish at your school you're not worried you're going to be left out in the cold and you take with you your seniority your vacation, all the benefits that you've earned, you would move to your new job. Even if that job would be in the department of forestry, for example, just to, get the, to give you a, a completely different example. So that's a breath of fresh air, particularly if you work in say a foreign language program, which I'm sure you guys have seen the, the recent studies that show fewer and fewer students are taking the classes and more and more programs are closing down.
0: Absolutely. Um, You know, in in talking about this stability um, aspect, uh, one thing, if we could just sort of switch um, trajectories a little bit, uh, especially, Anna, with your work, two main things sort of came out when we have been talking, and that was the idea of flexibility and freedom with the work that you do. Could you explain a bit more about that?
1: well uh the on one well i think i have the best of both worlds in a way because uh, one of my jobs uh involves uh building something from nothing with a team of my own choosing and that is you know the entrepreneurship uh, part of uh, what i do um and of course that involves uh absolutely to- you know to a certain extent almost total uh freedom and flexibility um and it is it is, very, it is actually uh, very difficult also uh, building something from nothing. There are lots of uh, times when it's very hard and you never switch off. However, um, if this is something uh, you enjoy, then uh, really uh, the great part of uh, this job is that uh, you have to make lesser uh, or well, fewer compromises than in other fields, for example. Um, on the other hand, I also have the benefit of working in a big system such as a university uh, where uh, my job combines policy, research support, analytics and management, and I'm still very much in touch with the research community. Um, so um, I really, very much enjoy that too because I feel uh, well I feel I can contribute uh, to research in this way. And I also feel comfortable that my uh, skills benefit, uh, benefit the research community. So I feel it's a, bit, it's a good fit. And I do have to admit in this job as well, I do have uh, great autonomy, um, which is amazing. Um, it is part, I think, of the University of Groningen uh, culture as well as probably uh, in part, part of the Dutch culture of doing business.
0: That's very, very useful. Uh, one other question I want to ask you before we move on to our last question is this idea of being able to progress higher up the working ladder. Do you find that's possible in both of your professions? Susan, maybe we'll start with you first.
2: Sure. Um, yes, absolutely. But I choose not to. Okay. And let me explain why. Uh, the way the, the, uh, my workplace is structured you in order to move to the next uh grade i would have to physically move and i have family commitments that keep me from from wanting to move so my job incentivizes uh by moving through a step system but once you get to the top of that step system and i'll hopefully hit that this year um, then they incentivize it through through bonuses so i would actually have to have to leave uh my area and go do what I'm doing in different places. And I, I, by the way, I've had many offers to do that. I'm very recognized for the quality of the work I do. I've been civilian of the year for the whole army three times, which has been unusual, especially since I don't have a military background at all. Okay. Um, so the, the, the actual promotion or, or, or going forward, taking on more responsibility would be at a higher level. Great point though. I don't supervise anyone. I love being able to just do my job, be relatively well paid, and only be responsible for for my own projects and tasks. I don't have to, to supervise anybody directly. I work as a program leader, but I don't have to rate anybody or grade anybody.
0: That's great. And what about for you, Anna? Um, well, uh, when it comes to
1: my startup, really, the sky is the limit uh, as far as uh, expanding and growing is concerned. And uh, the speed at which we grow is also uh Quite quick, quite fast, and dramatic at times. So, as I said, we started uh, 18 months ago, and in the meanwhile, we've uh, uh, grown to uh, three offices in three different countries uh, to um, several tens of thousands of users. Um, And so, that is something that I really enjoy because you feel uh, that you have some, you know, you have. A certain amount of control when it comes to uh, when it comes to this, and you can also decide if you want to slow down or not. Uh, you can do that together with your partners. Um, in academia, it really has become uh, very tricky uh, to plan your life um, in this regard, especially if you have a family, uh, and uh, you know, especially if your spouse is also an academic, which is my case. Um, so for me, really, that is a great uh, positive. Uh, when it comes to the University of Groningen, uh, there are really a lot of options uh, there as well. Um, of course, it is different uh, than in the world of startups, uh, but uh, I, I see a future and I can make five-year plans, which I really, in academia, I felt was much more difficult to do and the future was much more murky and I did not like that at all. Um it is, it's really disincentivizing.
0: That is an excellent point. Um, and with that, I'd like to just transition into our last question. Um, and I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit, Anna. It's about the advice you would have for those who are thinking of switching careers, especially with those who are apprehensive about leaving. Could you just give us some advice about how you would suggest going about the job search and, and what tips you might have?
1: Mm. Uh, Well, there are several things that uh, helped me in any case, so I can talk uh, primarily about my own experiences. Uh, One, I think, is that uh, you have to keep an open mind um, and you have to do some research and then make a goal and a plan. Um, The times really have changed and uh, there are many, many more jobs open to anthropologists outside of academia today than there were 10 years ago. And that's only going to increase. For example, you could do digital ethnography, you could work in the field of user experience, user interaction. There are so many different things that you could do now that simply these jobs didn't even exist before. And these are really interesting um, jobs that involve a lot of learning and at the same time applying everything that you know and you've learned. Um, so I think it is important to sort of first look into yourself, um, identify what your skills are, then uh, then to decide or identify what is it that you would like to do, see if that fits, if the first two fits, if the skills and your wishes fit, and then take a look at uh, the job market and see if uh, what you've decided fits with the job market and if there are any gaps you know, sort of do a gap analysis, see if there are any gaps and if you need to fill those gaps. Um, once, you, once you've done that, you will have a better idea of, uh, you know, what you're aiming for. You won't be just going around aimlessly uh, searching for some job. You will have an idea in which field uh, you will want a job. And once you have that, then uh, you can uh, put, uh, uh, you know, you can place a focus on networking, which I think is quite important. Um, of course, it depends uh, in which country you're looking for a job, and uh, you know every country has its own set of rules. But I think networking can never hurt, uh, and expanding your uh, contacts. Um, when I came to the Netherlands, I was uh, told that this was very, very important, and advised by several people to you know not hold back, but to literally make a list of people I want to meet, and then just contact them out of the blue, which I then did. And it has been a really, uh, you know, a very uh, gratifying experience. Uh, I've met with most of those people and uh, with the people I didn't meet, they responded and referred me to someone else they thought could be more useful. And this is how, in the end, I also came to learn about uh, the first job I got here, which was a lecturing job, and then also the second job that uh, I'm doing now.
0: Okay, excellent. And I think, um, you know, Anna and I are both um, anthropologists. So, you know, of course, it's, it's useful if you are an anthropology to, um, you know, realize that there are other opportunities out there. But um, Susan, I don't believe you are an anthropologist. So I think it'd be useful uh, for a non-anthropologist to also, if you have any extra advice you might have based on your own experience for um, people in other fields about how to go about advertising themselves to um, other, other types of work.
2: Well, I have a little bit different background. I'm a linguistic anthropologist, but I came out of a department called uh, Social and Cultural Studies at UC Berkeley, which was a new program. I did most of my coursework in linguistic anthropology, so that is a bit of my background. But I had both the advantage and the disadvantage <laughs> not having that network. But one, of, and I would one hundred percent back Anna in saying that that networking is is the way to go. It's certainly the way I found this specific. A uh, specific job. The one caveat I would say is that be careful when you're when you're doing your networking. If you don't entirely know what you're going to do, choose your informants wisely. Um, you may you may end up changing your mind and wanting to stay within an area. And the last thing you want to look like is somebody who's not trustworthy or or uncertain. This is where the internet is great because you're able to do a large amount of research without, you know, having necessarily to go into confessional mode. With, uh, in, and that's true if you work in a very small institution, for example. Bigger places, big departments that might not be as important. If you're in a, deport, a department where there are two professors, then that becomes a, a, a different kind of different kind of conversation. So, definitely, and, and I would also not be be afraid to try things, Vol, uh, volunteer. Uh, set, up a, set up a small project, perhaps without the idea that it's going to be your full-time job, but be honest with yourself about what your strengths are and what mm-hmm. your passions are. I think that's, that's, that's very important. And what's important to you? When we talk about work-life balance, identify how much, you know, your family is important and how much putting or your, or your faith or your art or whatever your passion is. Make sure you're honest with yourself. When you're when you're when you're setting your goals and and, and your trajectory, um, and if you're for example, if you're very good at uh, at negotiation, that's one of my strengths. Um, consider some different areas where that might not be in traditional academia, might not even be in traditional research, but where that that particular skill set is valued, and start to get some background in that area. Be open to a broader range of things. I always think the best jobs that I've ever had are ones I've made myself, or if I haven't created the job myself, I've made it my own.
0: That is incredibly uh, wonderful advice from both of you. Um, And I guess, you know, to sort of wrap it up, I think one thing that um, both of you seem to be getting across is is the importance of doing your homework, that um, whatever job you decide to go into or explore, uh, make sure you know, if you are a researcher, you're used to having to do background research anyway. So make sure that you come at it with a, a better idea so that you can uh, figure out how best to promote yourself going forward. And with that, that's our episode for Coffee and Cocktails with your host, Anne Wand. I'd like to thank again Dr. Anna Renatovich and Dr. Susan Larson for joining us at the studio this afternoon. And for those of you who've enjoyed the show, please feel free to explore our Facebook page at Coffee and Cocktails One as well as our blog where you can learn more about upcoming episodes. In the meantime, that's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week.